Thank you so much for having me back. It has been really fun to just reconnect with some of you who I got to know last year. And my family has been praying for you this week, um, and I have been praying for you all by name this week. So it's exciting to finally be here and to hopefully put some of those faces to names that I didn't get to know last year. But it is very fun to be back, and Linda has been showing me all around Hingham, and it's raining again this year. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm British, I just bring the rain with me. But regardless, I was excited to look around Hingham and to see what a gorgeous area of the country this is. So as Simone said, our retreat is entitled Truth, Love, and Lies, and we are going to work through the very short epistle of 2 John, but don't be um, taken in by that because there is a lot more to this letter than first meets the eye. So let's pray together. Um, I have been praying that when our weekend is over, that we would all feel more confident in knowing how to discern what God's truth really is. And as we leave this retreat, how we can mature each of us in our own spiritual lives, particularly in this area of understanding the truth of the gospel. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can have the opportunity and privilege to come before you and to dig into your word together. I thank you for each one of the women here, and we just pray that by your spirit you would refresh our hearts this weekend, that you would challenge us by your word, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us to glory in who you are, that you would help us to have eyes to see more of your faithfulness, more of the truth of your gospel. Lord, may this be a time when we can make new friendships, when we can encourage one another, and where we can learn to walk more faithfully as your children. For your glory we pray. Amen. Well, as we kick off, I wanted to share a few quotes with you from a few famous people who you hopefully will have heard of. Um, And all these quotes are to do with truth and lies. So you'll see this this theme here. So our first quote is from Marilyn Monroe. And she said, if you are going to be two-faced, at least make one of them pretty. (laughs) Not surprising from Marilyn. Then Albert Einstein, so a bit of a shift here in people that uh, quoted about truth, Anyone who doesn't take truth seriously in small matters can't be trusted in large ones either. Wise words. John F. Kennedy said, no matter how big the lie is, repeat it often enough and the masses will regard it as the truth. Pretty unsettling. And truth is an interesting but necessary concept. It seems to be banded around a lot, the word truth, whether you are about to follow the candidates who are declaring that they are running in the election, whether you follow election campaigns, whether you're into celebrities and their lives, whether you're trying to parent a toddler or a tween or a teen or kids in their 20s who have their own families, whether you are older, whether you are helping elderly parents, in all seasons of our lives, truth is something that is a word that comes into play often. 
And it seems to be something that we do want to require of ourselves and others. But as a human race, it does seem to be something that escapes us on a regular basis. We seem to be all too willing to bend the truth to make ourselves look better. So think just for a minute. I apologize for those of you who are not on social media, but this is a great example. Take, take into account something like an Instagram status or a Facebook picture that you might see where there's a beautiful rustic table with a succulent and this clean eating meal that some mother has prepared who has eight children. She's made all their clothes. And you see this Facebook status and you think, oh my goodness. Well, what you don't see, because the camera is so focused in on the rustic table with the succulent creating this amazing, amazing picture, is that all the children are fighting and killing each other in the background while she's standing on a chair trying to take this picture. And she has dishes piled in her sink because that's not the piece of the truth that this lady wants us to know about her life. She wants us to think that it is this serene picture at all times around her rustic farm table. Or think about that picture that uh, we all love to post of um, our beach holiday, where we're there on the sandy shores. We actually did this a couple of years ago, and I was ready to strangle my senior. <laughs> Out of all my children, he was not the one that I thought was going to be not into the photos, and those smiley pictures do not at all portray what actually went on. There was fighting, there were tears, it was a train wreck. But of course, the framed picture in my house, nobody would have any idea that the truth was something incredibly different. We can manipulate the truth to suit our purpose, can't we? Whether it's financially, whether it's to make ourselves look better because we want to feel included, uh, whatever it might be, we want to make ourselves appear better than we are. And every day we see headlines, don't we, about this truth that has been uncovered. If you Google celebrities and truth, it is really scary what comes up. If you're up in the middle of the night tonight, you might want to do that. Well, it might actually shock you so much you won't be able to go back to sleep. But it made me come to the conclusion as I was thinking about this and just considering our um, topic for this weekend that this truth that we see in the world is something that is not found in our society. It's very confusing. So this, the word truth and what we perceive it to be seem to be in conflict with each other. And by looking at the lives of celebrities, by looking at the news, by looking at the government, it seems that we don't really have a hope of understanding what truth is by looking in those areas. So as we look at Second John, we are going to see a different focus and a different understanding of truth, which I pray is going to encourage us and is going to give us the ability to walk in a truth which the world is not offering. And I've been praying as I've been preparing these messages that it will give us confidence and it will give us a discernment to be able to look at life in a completely different way, to be able to look at life in the way that God 
intends us to look at it. So before we get stuck in, I'm actually going to read the whole of 2 John because it's so short. So turn in your Bibles to 2 John, and here we go. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Isn't that a great letter? So many different things going on there. Now tonight, we're only going to concentrate on the first three verses of this letter. The first three verses, and we're going to save the rest for tomorrow. So I'm going to read you these three verses again, and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to see from these three verses. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Now, as we look at these three verses, we are going to see that Christians love other believers in the gospel because the truth of Christ abides in them. Christians love other believers in the gospel because the truth of Christ abides in them. So we're going to take away two points from these verses. The first point, Christians love believers in the gospel. Christians love believers in the gospel. And the second point, the truth of Christ abides forever in believers. The truth of Christ abides forever in believers. Now, this small letter is tucked in here, isn't it? In between 1 John and 3 John. And we presume that it is written by John, the son of Zebedee. He's the guy who also wrote John's gospel, as well as Revelation and 1 and 3 John. 
And if you're interested in just history and authorship of books, even though he starts by saying the elder, people who know a lot more than we do are convinced that it is John who wrote John's gospel and Revelation. And the reason that they think that is because they see in the way that this letter is written a similar theme and a similar way of writing as all those other books. So they're very convinced of it. And some of the things that John really focuses on in his writing that you can see if you go and you read the Gospel of John and the other letters, the first and third letter, and Revelation, some of these things that you will see are the truth of the Gospel. That's a big one for him. He also focuses on how Jesus was divine yet human. And there are other things that you will see too. Jesus' death being the basis of salvation. So really, John takes key theological things, and you see those themes running throughout what he's writing. So that might whet your appetite a little bit. It's a really fun exercise to go through a book like that and see how many times you see those themes popping up, and then do it with another one that he's written, and see the similarities. Now, what else do we know about John? Well, we know that he was the beloved disciple. He reclined next to Jesus at the Last Supper. He witnessed Jesus' agonizing death on the cross firsthand. He stood there at the foot of the cross while Jesus died. And at that time, Jesus asked him to take care of his mother, Mary. He entrusted that responsibility to John. He was also there with Peter on Easter morning at the empty tomb, and he sat around a fire with Jesus after he rose again. Why are these things all important? Well, they're important because John had first-hand eyewitness knowledge of Jesus and what happened in his ministry. He can be trusted because he was there. He actually saw these things. Things. So he was extremely integrated into the life and the ministry of Jesus while he was here on this earth. Now, he probably wrote this letter in the vicinity of Ephesus a little bit before he was exiled to the island of Patmos on, in Greece. And for about 20 years, a couple of decades, he spent his time in that area encouraging churches, admonishing them, pointing them towards the truth of the gospel, just like he is doing here in this letter in 2 John. He encourages them in what they're doing well, and he gives them pointers of how they can live their Christian lives better. So let's see what he has to say in this epistle here. The opening few sentences are very interesting. I, in fact, had a conversation just as I was sitting down before we even began about this very first sentence, and it demands a little bit of explanation before we go any further. The elder, who we've established as John, to the elect lady and her children. Well, at first reading, that seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Why is John writing to a lady and her children? That seems highly inappropriate. If he's an elder, what on earth is going on here? If we know anything about the culture of the day, that will make us even more panicky 
because it seems not quite right, doesn't it? Well, oh, and then in verse 5, he goes on to, to write that he loves her. So that sends us into a total hel- um, tailspin, doesn't it? But we don't need to panic because the lady, the elect lady, is a metaphor for the church. Yes, isn't that cool? Now, the reason that we know this and the children, therefore, are her congregation. The reason that we know this is because the word church in the Greek is actually feminine. And so that's why she's referred to as a lady. So these are believers in this church that John is writing to that Jesus has called to know him. They've been called by Christ. He has chosen them. So this letter is written in the second person plural, which implies a group of people. So in this instance, a congregation. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, why on earth is she going on about all of this? Well, there is a point. Because if we really, truly want to understand what the Bible is saying, we have to do some digging. Because it would have been very easy for us to read this letter and to say, oh, this is a bit odd, but John's writing to a woman and her kids. Well, it changes everything, doesn't it, once we know that this is actually a church and its congregation that John is writing to. And if we are going to talk about truth and discernment this weekend, then we really need to understand how to handle God's word well because we want to really truly understand the meaning that God intended for us. We don't want to impose ideas that we just think at a first glance or a first reading. We need to be prepared to do the work to find out what it is that God is really telling us. So we must make sure that as far as is humanly possible, we are interpreting God's word in the way that he intends. Now, all of these things have helped us come to the conclusion that John is writing to a congregation. He's writing to a group of Christians. He's writing to a church just like you, just like South Shore. And he's writing to this congregation because Christians love other believers in the gospel. Just as my family have been praying for you this week as I've been preparing, this is what John is doing here. Even though my husband and children have never met you, the ones in my household who are believers love you in the gospel because that's what believers do. This is our first point. Christians love other believers in the gospel. Look at the example of John here. He is writing to this church in verse 1 who he loves in truth. I don't know if you noticed that. He's writing to them in truth. He loves this congregation, and he really wants them to grasp this idea. He circles back around to it at the end of verse 3. Do you see where it ends in truth and love? He starts with that. He ends these verses with that. So we need to pay attention Because just in case we missed it the first time, he's telling us again in truth and love. And then in verse 3, after the grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and, and love. In what? In truth and love. It seems that this truth and this love 
are kind of intertwined together and that they have some sort of connection in the way that John is writing this. You can't really separate the love from the truth and the truth from the love as you read it. Now, what does that mean? And what does it mean for us? What, kind, what does that kind of love look like? He's saying that he is loving them in truth, but how do we figure out what that kind of love looks like? Well, if you look in verse 3, it says grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. We need to think about those three characteristics for a minute, I think. Grace, mercy, and peace. They are connected to this love that John is talking to this congregation about. He states that these these three things are going to be with them. Now, grace is something that we often find it hard to show people, don't we? And the same with mercy, especially when we feel that we're in the right. It's very hard to show mercy to somebody if we think that we're right. And peace is often a longed-for countenance that doesn't come very easily to us. So it's not coincidence that these are the three characteristics that seem to accompany the love that John is talking about. So I think as we consider these three things, we need to ask this question of ourselves. Do we lean into these three characteristics? Do we lean lean into grace? Do we lean into mercy? Do we lean into peace? Are our lives marked by those characteristics, or do we turn away from them? If somebody was going to explain about what sort of personality we had, would any of those three words be connected to who we are? I would suggest it's much easier for us to make idols of things that are contrary to those three characteristics than it is for us to really display them well in our lives. So we do need to ask ourselves why our natural inclination is to jump to judgments in situations and to think the worst of others rather than giving them grace. We're so quick to point out where others are misunderstanding things, aren't we? Where people have missed the point, and we're very quick to tell them why they have. But the thing is, we don't know what has happened in a person's day. We don't know what hard situations they may be going through. We don't know why they are reacting the way that they are reacting. So being determined to stick to what we perceive to be right and to become frustrated is the complete opposite of showing somebody grace. It's the complete opposite. And unfortunately, I have found that us Christians are the worst offenders, particularly with our Christian brothers and sisters. We are very quick to make an idol of being right in a situation, and we pride ourselves on it. We pride ourselves on being the person who can identify the problem in other people, which leads us to judging them harshly or really showing them where they're wrong and where we're right. This is the very opposite of showing mercy. How often are we the ones who stir up division and discontent? How often 
do we say we want prayer requests, but really we just want to know what's going on in people's lives and we have no intention of praying for them. How often do we talk badly about somebody, whether it's in the workplace or at church, at home? None of these things display peace. But the good news is we are all able to grow in these areas. Isn't that a relief? Because as I was considering these things, I was realizing that more often than not, I am quick to show the opposite of those three characteristics than I am to show the grace, the mercy, and the peace to others. But we can pray that the Holy Spirit will increase these truths and these characteristics in our lives. We can pray that they will abound in our lives. And as we dig into God's word and as we grow, they will become more and more evident because they are intimately connected with this love that John is talking about. Let's pray that we are all transformed as we obey God's calling on each one of our lives. And I encourage you to look for those transformations in each other and encourage one another when you see them. You really showed me grace today, and I know I didn't deserve that, but I want to encourage you and thank you for that. You challenged me on speaking badly about that person, which would have caused huge division in our small group, and instead you encouraged me to pray for peace. Now, I was thinking about how we can do this practically, and one thing that I came up with was often I find that my mouth speaks much faster and my brain can't keep up, and then I find myself in a problem. (laughs) It's, yes, my children and my husband will tell you. But as I was thinking about myself with that, I was thinking, but the Holy Spirit is right there to help me in that moment. So what I have challenged myself to do is as that thought comes into my head that I would pray right there and then in that moment that the Holy Spirit would just guard my mouth and would give me one of these three characteristics instead. So I encourage you to do the same. And I encourage you even to talk to somebody tonight and say, I really do want to do this, but I would love to do this with you. So let's encourage each other in this because ultimately this grows the very love that John is talking about here. Now, John wanted people to know and to remember the love that Jesus showed on the cross. This is the point of all of this, isn't it? Because we can't do or display any of these things that he's talking about without understanding the sacrifice that Jesus made. The fact that Jesus suffered and died the most agonizing death on the cross that was completely undeserved for us and extended such grace and such mercy towards us should make us want to respond in that way to other people because of what Jesus has done for us. We were and we are completely undeserving of that. So it really doesn't cost us anything to show that grace to others. Sacrificial love like that is completely extraordinary. 
And the response that we have towards it should be one of total love and amazement. And that kind of attitude grows these three characteristics of grace, mercy, and peace. And the astonishing thing is that Jesus didn't just die, he rose again, and he lives in heaven at God's right hand. His truth prevails and lives in us if we are believers. Look at verse 2 where it says, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. That truth is the most amazing love we will ever know and will ever have the privilege to experience. Now, if you aren't a Christian here tonight, I would urge you to think on the sacrifice and the love of Christ. And the fact that you're here today shows that you have some kind of interest that you might be wanting to know more about this love and this truth which can be trusted. So don't leave tonight or tomorrow if you have questions Ask somebody, come and find me. Ask the person that you came with. Talk to anybody who's been up here. Because this is the most important thing that we ever need to understand. It's a matter of whether we live with Jesus in heaven forever or whether we live apart from Jesus forever, whether we're cut off from him forever. So we really can't put this off. We need to understand it. Now we can see that this love that John talks about flows out of the most amazing love shown to us in Jesus, which in turn transforms our hearts and our desire to love others in Christ. Jesus showed us great love when we hated him, and this love is what changes us. It gives us a new identity, this love. It gives us a citizenship in heaven. This new identity This being a new person when we become a believer, a new creation, that's what gives us the ability to love other people. The Holy Spirit living in us gives us this ability to love others, to grow in grace, mercy, and peace. So I want to ask us another question. Do our lives reflect the sacrifice that Jesus made? Do our lives reflect the sacrifice that Jesus made? Do they display a sacrifice for others because of the sacrifice that he made for us? Can the transforming power of the gospel, the truth, can it be seen clearly in the way that we are living? So pray for that right response in those moments. Pray that the Holy Spirit would help you catch yourself so that the truth of the gospel and the sacrificial love that Jesus showed to us can be shown in the way that we live our lives. Now, a group like this is a really great place to start. Encourage one another. Live sacrificially with one another. Dig into God's word together. Make sure you are accountable. Ask questions rather than making judgments. That's hard, isn't it? Maybe decide to ask questions and try to understand 
some of the women who are coming from a different perspective to you, not on gospel issues, but on other things. See if you can understand them, because in love, united around the gospel, you can show grace to one another for those things. It's hard, but when we love one another, united around the gospel, it clearly shows that we not only believe the gospel, but more than that, it displays the Holy Spirit living in our lives, and other people don't understand that. People who don't know Jesus don't understand that. That love is a witness in and of itself because it is so unusual to the world. It is countercultural these days. It shows that Christ's truth is not only important to us, but it shows that Christ's truth actually lives in us. It abides in us. Our second point, the truth of Christ will abide in those who believe forever. Now, throughout the New Testament, we can see that truth and the gospel are often referred to as the same thing. In Ephesians 6 verse 10, it tells us that we have a spiritual armor that we need to put on, and part of that armor is the belt of truth, which is the gospel, and we are to buckle that around our waists and fasten it to ourselves. That gospel is to be fastened onto our person, And the gospel, the truth, gives us the ability to love like we just talked about. Now, I wonder why that is. Why does it give us the ability to love? Well, I talked about those quotes that people made about truth at the beginning. And it seems that this truth, the truth of the gospel, is not at all the truth that those quotes are talking about. It's not the truth that we see mentioned all over the media and in day-to-day situations. This truth, the truth of the gospel, can be known entirely, and most importantly, it can be trusted 100%. And the result of knowing and understanding this truth is an outpouring of love, not only for believers, but also for people who don't know Christ. And in these first three verses, John mentions the word truth four times. This is important to him. He needs the people in this congregation to listen. He wants this church to understand and to remember what truth is right from the start. In the very first verse, he tells them that he loves them in truth. Now, we're going to see as we move through this letter, that it is very important, it is vital that they understand what the truth is because there are deceivers who are going to distract them from this truth. So immediately he starts writing to them. John is telling this church what this truth is. He wants them to be firmly rooted in this truth. He loves them in the gospel this truth. It has to be central in their congregation. But he isn't the only one who loves them in the truth. Did you notice that? In verse 1, not only I, but also all who know the truth. Other believers are a part of this loving too. We're building a picture of a community here, of a family And the things that reinforce that are all the familial words that John uses in these first 
three verses. God, the Father, Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. We are this family of believers who are united and connected globally. This congregation was connected to John's church because they were believers together, just as we are all connected with believers around the world because we are united in the truth of the gospel together in this truth. Everyone who knows this truth is included, and it is because of this truth that any of this can happen. Now, this is really something that should blow our minds as we read verse 2. It's not only because of the truth, but this truth abides in us if we are believers. Now, we don't really use the word abide very much these days. At least, we don't in Virginia. I don't know if you do in Massachusetts. But we don't use the word abide very much these days. But I think perhaps we should because it's a great word, isn't it? Abide means resting in. Isn't that a great picture? It means to remain. It implies that it is living in us. It is part of us. And there is another amazing thing about this abiding truth. It is going to be abiding in us forever. This is not a limited time only offer. This truth abides in us forever. So John wants to remind this church that this truth lives in them. It abides in them forever. It is at the heart of absolutely everything, and it is what enables Christians to love. And this truth, this truth of the gospel gives us something to measure everything else by. It gives us a standard to weigh things against. It helps us to discern what is truly from God and what is not. We're really getting somewhere now, aren't we? Think back to that quote from John F. Kennedy, which I mentioned at the beginning. No matter how big the lie is, Repeat it often enough, and the masses will regard it as truth. Now, a number of years ago, my husband and I were staying with a pastor and his wife in Albania. <clears throat> and several, I mean, a couple of decades ago now, Albania was under communist rule. So the pastor's wife had grown up under communism, and she and I were talking about what that was like. And I was finding it so hard to wrap my head around it. I just could not understand how you could possibly believe the propaganda that the communists had told them. And she explained to me, she said, Abby, you have to understand that we were told by everybody in any position of authority that anything from the outside world was evil and that we were the ones who had the truth that we were the ones who were safe. She said every single way that we could communicate with the outside world was, forbid was completely forbidden. So we didn't even know that there were other things out there which would make our lives different. 
They were told that communism was what was best for everyone. And because that outside contact was forbidden, nobody questioned and everybody just believed it. That seems really hard for us to wrap our heads around. But it does back up that statement that John F. Kennedy made. No matter how big the lie is, repeat it often enough, and the masses will regard it as the truth. Now, as Christians, this should be a grave warning to us. Because we have the real truth. We have the only truth. The truth of the gospel. So because we have that truth, we must ensure that we present it the way God intended, or we are in danger of spinning lies ourselves. Now that sounds like a great responsibility, but the great thing is we don't need to be overwhelmed by this because we have the Holy Spirit to help us. That truth of the gospel is abiding in us forever. We have the truth of the gospel clearly explained here in God's word. So what we need to do is read it and know it and let it saturate our hearts because the more time we spend studying God's word, the more time we spend in prayer, the more clearly we are going to know the truth of the gospel. God has put all these things in place for us to help us, to guide us, Now, as we think back to the futile searching for truth in the world, we must remember that this gospel is a standard to measure everything against. We can buckle this truth of Christ around our waists, and we can know that we can trust it. It is trustworthy. This truth, unlike everything else that the world throws at us, is 100% trustworthy. So if we are reading something or if we are hearing something that doesn't line up with that trustworthy truth, then we can know it is not from God. It is not the truth of the gospel. It is as simple as that. So that's why we need to know it, so we can see what doesn't line up against it. One of our elders' wives grew up in a cult which was based very loosely on the laws of the Old Testament with a lot of extra laws and rules thrown in. They ate kosher, they tithed in very specific ways, and they added all these extra things in. There were rules about the way you dressed. There were rules about contact with the outside world. They didn't celebrate Christmas. Many things in their cult were not the truth of the gospel. Now, here's the interesting twist in the story. Over time, the leaders of the cult studied the New Testament. And guess what? The Holy Spirit softened their hearts and opened their eyes to the fact that they had completely misunderstood what they were teaching to be God's word. So they called all the people together in the cult while my friend was a part of it and her family, and they confessed that they had misunderstood And that Jesus was the, I know, isn't that amazing? (laughs) Jesus was the only way to salvation. Yes, praise God. They came to that conclusion by reading God's word. 
absolutely extraordinary. And they apologized for being false teachers. And they pleaded with the other people in the cult to accept the truth of the gospel and God's word. And many of the families and the individuals in the cult did just that. And they went and they became part of a gospel-preaching church. And now she and her husband and their family are part of our church and her husband is in leadership. The sad thing about this story is that there were people who refused to listen. And even though the leaders of the cult told them that they had been teaching them falsely and that they had deceived them, they were not willing to listen. They had been taken in by the false teaching and they did not want to repent. They did not want to embrace the truth of the gospel. These teachers understood because the Holy Spirit revealed to them the promise of eternal life, because they read the truth of the gospel. They understood the sacrifice Jesus made on their behalf, and they renounced their cult at great cost because the truth of the gospel was what they knew was needed. So what we must understand today is that the truth of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection means that all these things are possible for us. Because of that, we are able to love other believers. We are able to love other believers in the gospel because the truth of Christ abides in us, not every so often, but forever. What a great thing for us to be meditating on this weekend, the truth of the gospel. What a great reminder for us as John opens this letter to know that we have the truth of the gospel, which is a standard for us to measure everything by. It will help guide us as we navigate life, and it will show us what is from God and what is not. Let's pray as we spend time in prayer this weekend that our lives as individuals and as congregations are marked by these things so that other people can see them too, so that other people want the truth abiding in their hearts too. Let's also be praying that we are able to know the truth of the gospel so clearly that we are able to see what is truth from God and what is not, so that we learn to trust and walk in God's truth alone, because this truth is the only truth that can be trusted. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you loved us so much that you were willing to send your son to die the most agonizing death that he did not deserve in order to provide a way for us to have a relationship with you and turn from our sin. Heavenly Father, we praise you that we now have the promise of eternal life 
life forever with you in your presence because of that sacrifice. We thank you that your gospel abides in us forever. And we confess that we do not remember that as much as we should or as much as we need to. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to read your word and to know it and understand it clearly so that the gospel is evident in us and so that we can clearly articulate the joys and the delights of the gospel in grace, in mercy and peace to those who don't know it and to each other so that your kingdom grows and brings glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.